Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 81 of Destination Linux. I'm Rocco. Back this week is Ryan, who has internet again. I have electricity and internet. <laughs> you never realize how much you need those things until they're gone. And there's also Zeb, who uh, had some tension with me uh, with some of the outtakes last week. Are you okay, Zeb? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I won't be wearing that dressing gown again. <laughs> dressing gown. <laughs> Well, we used to think it was a Jedi outfit, but now we know it was a dressing gown. <laughs> All right, so stick with us. we got a lot to cover this week. We have some Ubuntu security updates. we got Debian-based distros to cover. we got we got a lot of stuff to cover, and some gaming as usual, so stick with us. But first, we're going to start out with an email. We can skip it. Now, I think this is one that we definitely need to cover, Ryan. 100%. So... Let's start out by saying this is from Andy, and Andy, thank you so much for your email. It's, Don't like you, Andy. It is so appreciated that you would send this email to us. All right, so, hey, Destination Linux crew, I love the show, but one thing really troubles me. Greatly troubles me. Mm-hmm. Great. He did say greatly. I, I did leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan claims, in quotes, mm. his car runs Linux, but I'm thinking he means that his car boots linux mm. i refuse to believe these outrageous claims until i see a logo of some sort that ryan has produced actually using linux on his car that's right i'm calling bogus on this until wow. ryan offers proof positive that his car runs linux by producing something with inkscape or gip <laughs> using his car <laughs> what do you got to say about that ryan uh, well, obviously, Andy has slapped me with the proverbial white glove here, mm -hmm. and I will not stand down to a challenge ever. Uh, he admits that he was skeptical. He even said that he was skeptical about my love for Linux <laughs> because I use an iPhone to make calls. And he says Android in, in, in in parentheses is as Google fied as it may be is certainly closer to the Linux family. Not true. Not true at all. If you people love Linux because of privacy and for its security and everything opposite over there in Android, so good luck with that phone. So you're network. an iOS fanboy. Yeah, for for phone mm -hmm. certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, seriously though, thank you for the show each week. I don't miss an episode. And like Ryan, I also work in telecom. Uh, welcomes the relief bender. So very funny, Andy. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. Not only did I put proof out there on my YouTube channel that my Honda doesn't just boot Linux, but runs bent Linux. I gained on Linux in my car and made a special wallpaper for DOS geek on my car while it's running in Linux on the middle console. So I proverbially slap you back, Andy. Psst. That was a raspberry Pi, not your car. Hey, <laughs> Zep, you're not supposed to help them. Why not? This is great. Uh, thank you, Andy, for the email. That was awesome. Put a smile on our face. Uh, it was absolutely awesome. If you want to send us your emails, you can send it to us at comments at destinationlinux.org, and maybe we'll talk about it on our show. All right, on to some distro news. Yeah. So, you know, Canonical is very busy in fixing things and patching things, especially with the uh, Spectre and 
meltdown stuff. So they have put on July 2nd, they released a security update for the kernel. And they've also released another update now that was causing regressions, Ryan, for 64-bit machines to boot. And this is interesting because we're kind of starting to see some of these boot failure issues pop up. And I don't know that they're all related to each other, but Pharonics had another article in here related to seeing a similar issue on the kernel 4.18, which was impacting Fedora. And I think I didn't have time because this article popped up before the show to research it is the issue I've been running into where I've had very slow boots recently with Fedora ever since a update last week um, where it just was taking forever. But I think as they're trying to patch all of these security features, we're also having some issues that come up unexpectedly. So they're doing the right thing, right? They're fixing these security issues. But when you're doing so and you're getting that code in, it can have unexpected effects on people's machines. And that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit here. So for me, from a user point of view, it begs the question, yes, they do, what is it, nine or 10 release candidates before they issue a kernel. Are they trying to pump this stuff out too quick? Is there just now so much code in the kernel that it needs the end users to find some of these bugs? I don't know if they're, it's an interesting question. I don't know if they're pumping it out too quick. They found six vulnerabilities and want to patch them immediately so that somebody Mm -hmm. doesn't have time to fix it. I think in doing so, I think this is really kind of showing you the impact that this uh, Spectre and Meltdown and all of these things have had. Mm -hmm. Now you've got to, you know, they find these major holes, they patch them, and then now they've got to go back and fix issues that, that get caused as a result that they didn't see. I don't know that you can't not push that type of security update out as soon as you kind of find it. Otherwise, once it kind of gets out there in public, that's when the opportunity for, say, a hacker or somebody mm-hmm. to try to exploit it is going to be your highest. Like, but I think know. that uh, props to Canonical yes. for keeping on top of the situation. They are constantly releasing updates to make sure that everybody has the latest updates to be safe or as safe mm-hmm. as you can be with this stuff because obviously it's not going to go away and we're going to continue to have uh, flaws found because of it. So they're going to have to continually do these updates and on top of releasing the 1804.1 LTS, you you also have to realize they're also working on all of this stuff too. So I I don't, without trying to be a canonical fanboy, um, I think it's awesome to see how much effort they actually put into the Linux community and sometimes it goes, mm, they don't get thanked for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Yeah, because also um, as another side to this, because this is on the security side of it, there was a lot of NVIDIA users having problems with their um, 4.15.24 kernel when it came out. And they really had to get a quick fix out on that. And they, and they actually bypassed, I think, uh, 25, 26, 27, 28, and went straight to 29. Because as you know, there's so many users out there on NVIDIA cards. So as well as doing all this security stuff, they're also doing the usability side of it. So yeah, big props to the guys over at Canonical. Yep. So this next article, though, um, it always brings a wry smile to my face now because <laughs> Debian-based slacks. Now, hang on a minute, isn't that? It's not an oxymoron, but there's some sort of word that describes something that shouldn't be said because isn't slacks... Slackware. 
And I found it quite strange when Slacks dropped their Slackware base and went to Debian. Um, mm-hmm. But it looks like they've done quite an incredible job. I personally couldn't get it to boot off a USB, but then that's probably down to more, more to my skills than it is to the work that they've been doing. Because when you actually look into this, they've got a Debian-based system that you can run off of a USB drive and you only have to have 128 megabytes of RAM. Did either of you guys get it to work at all? Well, I didn't personally play with this one, but the what I found fascinating, what I loved about this announcement of their 9.5 release here is they also announced the fact that they are they have an option to purchase a Kingston Data Traveler 2000 key card, USB key card, yep. alphanumeric keypad that locks the drive with the word or number combination, full encryption on here. And what a great way, number one, to gain some financial support for their project, right? Something that's really cool. It's niche. I would love to have it on my uh, key ring just because it looks cool, right? It's just the geek <laughs> thing to show off. Like, like, oh, you got a regular, you know, uh, Lexar USB. That's cute. And then you pull out this thing and it's got buttons on it that you have to click to unlock it and full encryption. And you've got Linux on it. Now, I carry Linux with me everywhere. So uh, I already have, I think I use, uh, I have a puppy Linux and I have a Fedora that I carry with me pretty much everywhere. Um, and having this on my key ring, I think, is just going to give me some added geek point points. What do you think, Rocco? Well, on top of that, I mean, there's a lot of people that are concerned about security um, that d- will use something like this. I know a couple people that will boot off of a USB just to do things like their banking. Yep. And this is just one added feature that, you know, I'm as assumed that you can get these keys anywhere uh, as far as uh, with the key pin. Yeah. pad but i didn't really realize before today that they were out there so this is something that's really good that you can add an extra layer of security and i would assume this is like almost a uh, competitor to puppy linux where yeah. you just pretty much put it on your usb and you can boot to it um so this this will benefit a lot of people that are concerned about making sure their credentials are not taken or stolen so i think it's awesome yep. I agree. But the only thing that confuses me about it, I'm just looking at their website now, and I, ha- I have to buy it in BTC. Is it going to convert to BC- BTC or whatever payment method I choose, whether I use PayPal or Google Pay, or have I got to go and work out how to buy BTC and then send you it No, that's a really good question. It's been so long. Basically, the last time I was in Bitcoin was when it was kind of first announced. And I really wish I would have stuck with it because I'd probably be a millionaire right now. But I didn't, lo and behold, and got bored with the project and moved on. Uh, I'm sure there's a Bitcoin of mine somewhere out there uh, worth six or seven grand that I can no longer find the codes for. But in any case, uh, I don't know how it works today. There were a lot of services for a while that were accepting Bitcoin or were going to do transfers, but because of the volatility of Bitcoin for a long time, a lot of companies bailed and stopped. And so I don't know if PayPal would allow you to do that. I don't think they do anymore transition to Bitcoin or if they ever did or what service you would use or you'd have to go to like, a, I don't know if this is even still a thing in Bitcoin, Mount Box and set up an account and transfer your money and then move it to Bitcoin and all of that. But I assume a lot of people who are heavy into encryption and privacy and all of that, which is their go-to audience here, is going to probably have Bitcoin right off the bat. But it's not something personally I've 
done a lot of work with. Now, if somebody wants to send us some Bitcoin so we can uh, try this out. That yeah, just let us know. Yeah, just send us a couple bits. <laughs> How much is 0.017 BTC? Is it fiver? Is it 50 quid? Well, whatever we say today, five minutes from now, it'll be 700 times <laughs> or 700 less than that. So I don't know. Right. It's definitely it's more than fun. squids. We can say yeah. that. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> everything's sure. worth more than squids. <laughs> Ryan, what, where do I go if I want the ultimate Linux distro? I am so glad you asked. I'm starting my own distro, the DOS. No, I'm not. Oh, uh, the ultimate okay. Linux distro, supposedly, Rocco, out there in the world is XTix. Really? That's what their site says. We'll be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah, so XTix has released what it's saying is the ultimate Linux distro with version 18.7 based on Debian 9. So we're going to have a lot of Debian news, and I assume that's because Debian recently got a nice update there uh, this week. You know, you've got LXQT in here. You've got some nice applications. What do you think, Zeb? Did you get a try on this one, and do you feel that their claim of being the ultimate Linux distro <laughs> is true. Um, I don't like knocking on XTix because when his distros worked for me, they were really, really good. And he had some very interesting ideas. But the last half a dozen that he's put out, it's the ultimate fail. Next. Sorry, <laughs> it just doesn't work on my kit. And it's a shame because when I have had it running, it has been... Really, really good. Yeah. Uh, well, I loaded it in a virtual box. I thought uh, I had no prior knowledge of XTix, really. And it loaded fine in a virtual box, but we know that's not a real life example, right? Uh, it's definitely, but it worked fine in that environment. I liked that it had all the media codecs and things installed by default. I like when these distros, when they're capable of removing additional work that I don't have to think about when I install them. You know, media codecs is one of those things that you don't even think about when you install a new distro until you go to play a video. And then you're like, oh, nothing's working. Uh, so I like that. The wallpaper of the car, I wasn't a fan of. Honestly, when you first boot in, it's a wallpaper of a car. And it to me, that just seems like that I just boot into a 14 year old's laptop. Like, I, I just don't like I don't like a car. Don't sugarcoat it, Ryan. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I don't like the car thing. Like I would like something that was maybe designed by the community or something like that instead, because I think that gives distros more personality than a standard kind of stock image of something. Um, but with that said, the LXQT layout he had, I thought was extremely usable and user-friendly. The Calamari's installer was fantastic. I like that he's running a Debian-based distro on one of the latest kernels, which a later, not the latest, a later kernel than normal at 4.18. So you're going to get a lot of additional support for someone who wants to run Debian, but maybe has hard, you know, later hardware uh, or using specialty hardware where their hardware is only supported in a later kernel. So I think it's cool work there. I don't know that I would personally go and run it, but I, I see the appeal for people who do like it. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's a lot of things that came with this. Uh, one, it has a lot of different features that are, are not in other places like uh, persistence on the USB. Uh, they, Firefox has replaced Chrome. Decisions that may be not uh, for everybody, but, you know, some people are going to enjoy this. And that's, I think, what it's what it's for. It's not for the masses to have. You know what I mean? Um, right. I don't think that in my in my personal opinion, I don't think a distro or I would run a distro 
with one guy being the sole developer of it, just because that's a lot to take on for one mm-hmm. person. And you always have that in the back of your mind. Is this person going to, you know, not do it anymore? And am I going to be using this distro and then have to switch later on? So it's always a risk you take when, when one person's doing it. But um, I think there's a lot of nice features in it, although I'm not going to be running it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. That can be a very, that, that has gone into many decisions of whether I'm going to stick with a certain distro I'm playing with, of whether how much of a community involvement, you know, going and looking out at the forum, seeing how many people were involved in it, uh, whether I would do it because I don't want to get invested in something that breaks and it takes 72 hours to get a response. on. not saying that's the case with X-Tix at all, but that would be something that I would consider when looking at a distro. Am I going to have the ability to get support on it? Mm-hmm. Well, for some comfort for those people who are out there using it, um, X-Tix, I think he goes by the name of Xton has been around for a good seven or eight years. And in Linux terms, that's quite a long a, a, quite a long time for a one-man band. Yep. There you go. So he's hanging in there. Well, keeping on the uh, Debian front here, we have another distro that has a new release, and that is Neptune OS 5.4. Hmm. So this is not one that I have tried before, but they have done a lot of work in this uh, release as far as they have changed the theming around. They have updated the KDE frameworks. Um, And what I found interesting about this, uh, they have Kwin as their default window manager, and they have to basically continually update this to work with certain versions of Qt so that it will work the way they want it to work. Hmm. Now, my question is, again, we go back to that's a lot of work to put on developers uh, yep. to continually make sure that something is backported or something is working with this these back packages in order for everything to work. You know, are you afraid when you update something like this that it's going to break? Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, is, is anybody here, because I was not familiar with Neptune, had any experience or heard of Neptune? Has it been around for a while? Is it a distro that has a long history yeah. of... Again, it's it's one of those ones that you keep you keep an eye on because it, it it has promise. But I think it's that one man band scenario or a very limited set of resources behind it um, that, has, that has that has held it back. And then without reading any of the show notes, as soon as you said Neptune, I instantly thought, oh, that's that KDE distro. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of people get it also confused with Netrunner. Yep, which is, hmm. which is another KDE. Um, distro. So, you know, KDE and Plasma uh, is gaining a lot of ground. Um, and, it, and it's definitely worth worth a look. Um, it's, it's KDE on Debian. Um, and the times that I have used it, yes, it's worked well. But back then, I wasn't really a KDE person. And, and with Kubuntu now, I don't, I don't feel the need to use any other type of, of KDE. But yeah, this, this is one of those ones that, again, you, you can say, put it on a USB, install it to your hard disk, it'll just work. Yeah. Well, they did some, he's done a lot of work here. They've done a complete update to their GUI system with the nice dark themes that everybody seems to be running here. Obviously, everybody. We, we've talked about the KDE frameworks, um, you know, all the updates to core packages, VLC, Thunderbird, those type of things, and Enlightenment. So I think that, you know, they're doing great work over there. And if somebody's interested in that, they also install the codex by default. So, 
yay. Man, they've got a lot of cool stuff in here. Yep. It's based on Debian Stretch. And Zeb, you mentioned about the uh, about Netrunner. It uses a combination of uh, Debian and Netrunner for its software sources. So ah, okay. it's kind of in line with that. And uh, But this, I, I guess their focus is to have a user focus. And I guess everybody says that. But the way the software that they install and the things that they do is, I guess, what they consider to be the best user experience. So mm-hmm. that will be up to the, obviously, up to the users that try it. But uh, that's what their goal is. Yeah, nice. I think it's really cool to see all these Debian distros now because, you know, uh, Debian doesn't get updated that often so i don't think i've been in the news in linux when a new debian kind of launched out there and so now all of these debian distros kind of like when ubuntu did their recent update are now popping up that we all get to learn about and play with and that's a cool way to get the news back out about these smaller distros that maybe they don't usually have you know major changes happening all the time or have all the press that the other distros have out there but with this debian recent release there's a lot of stuff out there who the fans uh, Debian can go out there and play with them. But there is another ultimate contender, Zeb. I was going to say, yes, um, I've got the ultimate Linux with a twist. (laughs) So there's um, Modicia, Modicia, not quite sure how you'd you'd, you'd say that, probably Modicia, because I think it might be um, Italian-based. But what they've done is they have released just last month this distribution, and it's said to be created by professional multimedia users for professional multimedia users. Now, I couldn't find the twist. (laughs) So they've hidden it. They've hidden it quite well, unless they're talking about their 3.9 gigabyte download size. Because for an XFC, no, my apologies, for an anabolized whatever whatever that means, an anabolized XFCE desktop, where's four gig coming into it? Yeah, so I, I'm guessing that has to do with all the multimedia applications they are, you know, bundling in. So, I, you know, it's funny because it's based on Zubuntu, but it the whole twist with it is that it has all of these multimedia production tools in it. Uh, they do their own customization of XFCE in there. Uh, but this reminds me very much of when I was looking into this of Ubuntu Studio because Ubuntu Studio is based on XFCE, comes packed with tons of multimedia creation and audio development tools. Maybe not the same ones for sure, mm-hmm. but a very similar kind of idea. But if you look at the screenshots of it, it's very bright and colorful, so it's not for mm-hmm. everybody, but it's beautiful. It looks really, really unique. Yep. And I tell a lie, I did find the twist. It's a system back distribution. Um, it is their first one, and they've obviously forgot to take out a couple of things because I think the default language was still the default language of the developer, so I had to go back in and change both the language and the regional settings to the UK once it's in, once it had installed, um, it had ZRAM installed by default. So again, maybe the developers working on a slightly lesser uh, machine. So that's something else that I had um, to take out. And all of the window decorations are on the left of the screen, and I could find no way to turn them exactly the where they should be, Zeb. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so, and, and this, bear in mind, this is their first distribution. 
So as distribution goes, um, I guess you could take the time to make it work the way you would like to. But when you've got Zubuntu as a good base as well, why why would you bother? Yeah, but so I again, think they're I think they're taking the XFCE or the XFCE parts of it, but they're also and I think that's also part of the twist where their launcher when you hit the um, meta key is mm-hmm. a gnome like <clears throat> excuse me a gnome like launcher, so mm-hmm. it has your big icons on the left, your favorites, and it brings up this uh, expose of your windows with your desktops on the right. So uh, they're trying to like. Again, they're trying to give you what they feel is the best user experience by taking the good parts of XFCE and maybe adding some more modern features like a full screen menu uh, Mm -hmm. to it. And, you know, I think back to when I started with Linux and I ended up being a huge fan, not knowing anything uh, of Ubuntu Studio because I was doing a YouTube channel. I didn't know what third party apps and tools to utilize to develop videos and all of those things in Linux. And Ubuntu Studio came packed with all of that. And so I could learn the names of the various programs that were out there. And that helped me tremendously. So you'll see a lot of my first videos when I left uh, Unity. I think the very next distro I used was Ubuntu Studio. And it was very helpful to have all those media codecs installed, all the programs you'd use to do video editing. Like this one includes Shotcut, Project X, Caden Live, Avid Mux. Like it literally like packs in everything. So you could sit there and play with those and say, these are the ones I want to play with or these are the ones that I'm not interested in. And I think it, you know, they have kind of a Mac OS uh, panel at the bottom as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think this is a really interesting thing because uh, there's even developers that we've had of major distribution saying they don't do their audio production and things in Linux. And I think it's a lack of exposure to some of the applications and tools that are out there and readily available as a potential reason there. And maybe distros like this will help get that news out. So one to watch then. Keep an eye on it. There you go. But here's one to watch that I've actually, I remember privately sending you guys message on that you've got to check this out. And that's Lubuntu. You guys, I, I got a secret ISO from Simon, I guess, what was it? Maybe two months ago now, Rocco, yeah. something like that. And he was like, hey, check out some of these changes that we're doing with LXQT. And I was blown away because Lubuntu, frankly, was not something... I ever really cared too much about running on my machine until I got that ISO, that secret ISO. And I love getting secret stuff that nobody else has. <laughs> uh, but until I got that secret ISO and was able to test it out and the stability and performance and speed of it to me was just really interesting. But this article in particular, Zeb is talking about Lubuntu taking a new direction. So what do you think? For me, it's it's slightly sad because Lubuntu has always been the base by which Peppermint has been built. Um, and we already know that Peppermint isn't going to be going down the LXQT route, but I can see why they want to do it. I mean, LXDE is stuck in, I think it's GTK2. Um, so, yeah, I've had a look at some of the nightly builds, and it's coming on leaps and bounds. Um there's going to be a little outcry, I think, in the community because everybody with the older machinery has always looked to Lubuntu as being the go-to distribution um, to be able to use with their old machines. 
But I think that's a Linux-wide thing anyway. There's going to be fewer and fewer distributions that are willing to do the work to keep the 32-bit um, community alive. But yeah, it, it, there's some really interesting stuff in there. And if you haven't tried Lubuntu in a very long time, go and grab yourself a nightly build um, and, and, see, and see what they're working on. One small area that I think they need to do a bit of work on, though, is the theming. Mm. They've got one really good theme, Breeze, and I think it's maybe because they're caught up in making all these other changes that they've still got some themes in there that really shouldn't be there because they just don't work. You pick a couple of them, and all of a sudden, your single line spacing is now four, five, six line spacings. So... I could live with having just one, and it is a really good theme, and it looks gorgeous. But for the moment, please just take the other the other themes out because they just make a bit of a mockery of it. That's the only message I've got uh, for the guys over the, at Lubuntu. But no, I'll be watching this one very, very closely because I think it's, as much as I don't like to say it, I think it's heading in the right direction. <laughs> there you go. Rocco, what were your take on the blog that they put out there kind of an outreach to the community which i love seeing yeah uh to explain here's what's going on don't freak out here's kind of our new mode of where we're going so whether you agree with it or not they're being transparent and i think that's really important what were your what was your thought on it? well one the blog itself is a refreshing thing to see like you said because um you have other desktop environments that don't aren't the best at communicating and mm -hmm. I think to be out front of this and to explain what their goal is, whether you agree or don't agree, uh, they're explaining their goal and what they're trying to accomplish by this. But before I say what I think about it, um, in his absence, um, our good friend Michael yeah. Tux Digital uh, put a Reddit post out there about his thoughts on it. And basically his thoughts on it are he, the LXQT has – had a ton of progress over the years and has a lot of potential to be both powerful and light while at the same time not limiting itself. So LXDE is technically still being maintained, but it's not the kind of development needed to base a mainstream distro on. So they're left with a choice, basically. Do they want to adapt to the times and stay relevant, or do they want their main focus to be on staying the same and older hardware? So um, that's a hard decision, and I don't know, like, I guess depending on your base, it would be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a hard decision, and you're going to have people upset regardless. You're going to mm -hmm. have people leave it if they don't adapt, and you're going to have people leave it if they do adapt because they wanted the old, oh, the old way. So I think they're in a tough position, but I think they're making the right decision by adapting, and that's my personal take on it yeah, after Michael's comments. It's interesting you say that because of reading our comments on our live chat here, and a lot of people are shouting out other distros that are lighter than Lubuntu. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying a lot. Of, this is lighter than Lubuntu. This is lighter than Lubuntu. So I think that is an interesting thing because they mentioned that in the blog, that back when they started, they there wasn't a lot of light distro options out there. Right. Now you have tons of light distros that have kind of taken that mantle. They want to take it into a different direction. That doesn't mean they're not going to remain a light experience overall, but they don't want that to be their primary focus is being able to run on old hardware or being a light distro. They want that functionality piece in there as well. 
ultimately, and again, I, I don't have a lot of stake or time invested in Lubuntu, but for me as an outsider just looking in, I think this is probably a good decision for this team. They do great work. The one thing I'm not a fan of with Lubuntu still, and Simon knows this, is its menu. I'm just not a fan of the menu. Outside mm -hmm. of that, everything else in that distro, especially with the, the nightly build and test ISOs that I had, I ran it for weeks because on my laptop because I just enjoyed it so much, even though it wasn't ready for prime time at that moment because it just it was super snappy and functionable uh, to for the workflow. So there you go. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that that article, as Rocco said, is it's it's a a nice change for the Linux community or the Linux developers to come out and and chat chat to their users. Um, and it brings us on to a very, very interesting story that Paul from our Telegram group found. Um, and it's an article about launching a paid application on Linux. Now, when you read through this, you get to see some of the negativity that is sometimes still prevalent in the Linux community. But then you get that shining star. And what I mean is, here's a company who tried to put out um, a product that would help people work with Exchange and Office 365. So they produced the first product, they put it out there, and then basically Reddit chewed them to bits and said, no, we're not going to use this. If it's not FOSS, it won't work within the Linux community. What a waste of time. So they packed up their bags, took their ball out of the game, <laughs> and, and sat on the sidelines. But then Canonical caught you know caught wind of this product i thought now hang on a minute this is a good product this could work so they went along and they had a chat with the developers and they convinced them to have another go um, and to produce a snap now that snap is now available and apparently it is becoming very popular so there's the success side of of linux that is that is great to see so have any of you guys had cause to use um, this new product called, is it, is it called Hiri or is that the name of the company? Hiri, I think, is maybe how, Michael needs to be here to tell us how to pronounce it. Of course. We need Michael. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, but Hiri is, uh, I think, what they call it. Because isn't it off of the, one of the mountains, maybe? Uh, but in any case, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, the, the we'll pronounce it wrong thing. anyway. Yeah, well, no matter what it is, it's probably like uh, Tom is how you pronounce it, H-I-R-I, <laughs> uh, knowing things in Linux. But in any case, uh, this, this is basically one of those tools that I think are very important for the community because uh, it allows people who want to use Linux, but maybe their work uses an Exchange server, Office 365. They want an easy setup. They don't want to have to go through all of these workarounds and things to get stuff set up. They just want to download an email client and be able to interact with it. And they've created this and it's become quite popular. But what I think is the most fascinating part of this is Canonical stepping out saying, hey, we want this product and bringing mm -hmm. the company back to the table to say, how can we bring this in there? But Rocco, the findings from the developer, I thought the conclusions they made after a year now of being on Linux were incredible okay so again we talk about canonical reaching out and helping and these are the things they do behind the scenes and and that's why i said not to sound like a canonical fanboy but these are the things that people don't see 
you know, and you may not care about an Office 365 mail client, but here he is a really nice email client. It's just, it, it, you know, obviously it only works with uh, other certain accounts. But the mm-hmm. findings that they or the conclusions that they came to was and something that we talk about a lot, Ryan, which is I do believe you can make a living out of selling software to Linux users alone. Now, yep. that's the big question for companies, developers, game developers, everything. Can you make money on a Linux variant? So they also go on to say that most of our paid Linux users are a result of word of mouth. And this is not the case for Windows and Mac. So really interesting. It's, it's unbelievable, or I should say it's not unbelievable to me or you or Zeb because we see it. But it's right. unbelievable to people who who aren't familiar with the Linux world to actually, oh, really? People will actually pay for software? Here is a good enough app that I would pay for if it worked for me, if I needed it, or if it was a, a complete email client where it covered all kinds of different types of accounts, I would definitely pay for it. Yep. Absolutely. I think in some interesting things in here, as he said, pricing-wise, we haven't noticed anything that distinguishes Linux users from everyone else. So I know when I came into Linux, you know, uh, people were saying, oh, Linux people refuse to pay for anything. Mm -hmm. They're cheap. They're this, they're that. But this clearly proves otherwise that we are uh, capable of uh, spending money when there's something there that can fill a niche. And uh, they do say, unfortunately, the fundamentalist FOSS mentality we encountered on Reddit is still alive. So what they're referencing here, we didn't really cover this part well, is before Canonical got involved, when they were going to announce their their product out to the world, they went on Reddit. That was your first mistake. Well, that's a bad place to, to uh, go for yeah. opinion. Uh, and our Linux is is has a combination of uh, has a, a large uh, portion of particularly toxic individuals uh, with a very toxic mindset. In some cases, there are great people on there, but there's a lot of toxicity. So they were on our Linux. They announce it, and of course, people start throwing out there. It's FOSS. I'll never. If it's not FOSS, I'll never use it. Uh, you know, uh, sure. If you make it free, blah blah blah. You're not going to go anywhere. So they got discouraged and left. So if you think your comments don't matter to a developer, if you think your comments don't matter to a podcast, if you think your comments don't matter to a YouTuber, all of this stuff is proof that it does. I wouldn't have stayed with Linux if it wasn't for people like Rocco coming into my channel, encouraging me back when I started. Uh, this person would have left if Canonical hadn't come into and said, hey, come back to the table. These comments that you leave that you think sometimes people think are funny, trolling and those type of things can be devastating to a community. We can miss out on really good applications. Yep. But Zeb, uh, they also gave some tips for developers to do or to look out for. So, yeah, um, what this whole article leads to is you're not you're not alone um there is this organization out there called canonical so engage with them yeah they are approachable they give some um super helpful insight into the linux community um and they will they will teach you um some things that you might not have the skill set for to get your product product um to the marketplace um listen to them let them lead the way and if you're really um, sincere in wanting to get your product out to more to more users, um, then, then then they'll show you the path. Now, one of the things that they also go on to say is that it's not an easy task. Um, 
because they have to realize that it is a smaller base that they're working to. It's not that which we're, they're used to. So there's different programming tips and strategies that they have to take. But once again, that's where um, Can- Canonical will come along and help you. They'll give you that skill set. They'll give you that guidance. They'll give you that one-to-one, let's sit down, talk about your product and how we can make this this viable. Um, and that rang through throughout the whole article that it would, they wouldn't have been there without Canonical. I think the the greatest line in here is Linux is a community. The word will spread. And I think that's where I think that's where people are who are not part of the Linux community are surprised sometimes, even though there are places like Reddit that are there are toxic people. But overall, I think the community is getting better. And um, yeah, word will spread. Well, I think people are calling out the trolls. I think people are sick of dealing with them and that, and there are more people not with that mentality that are overwhelming those individuals. So that, 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 that kind of group is slowly getting muted, which thankful to companies like canonical and things with big pull to do that. But I also want to mention for people who are pure FOSS individuals that companies often are dabbling in these things and do not understand them on the onset or how they can make money off of FOSS or these type of things initially. However, just like in this article, he's allowing you, they're starting to open themselves up to allow users to contribute to their code and they're offering free licenses to people who offer big uh, contributions or help translate. So they're, they're starting just by them, uh, by the support that's happened within Linux, they're starting to embrace some of those open ideals and it could eventually could get more and more open or be more in line with some of the ideals that certain people have. Uh, So don't just count something off because you're like, oh, I only use FOSS. Well, great. You have that option, but don't put something down because they don't initially start off their offering in that form or fashion because there's a lot of cool things once they learn about the community that uh, will happen naturally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talking about cool things here, Rocco, how about we, me and you right now, pull a chicken and go order us a Dell XPS developer edition because their developer edition now comes with Ubuntu 18.04. The laptop has just dropped. And look, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm dying to drop another 1400 right now. Um, no, I'm not dying to drop another 1400, <laughs> but I would love to have an XPS <laughs> from uh, Dell right now because uh, now I don't have one personally, but everything that I have read talk to people and this is just anecdotal or anecdotal anecdotal any whatever you said that it's uh just from people that i've talked to but that is the major selling point for adele is the fact that it is just the quality of it is awesome so zeb is this something you would buy um unfortunately not because i i just prefer a bigger screen i'm not worried about whether it weighs three pound one ounces or 15 pound one ounce um, as long as it, it it does the work and having having worked with a 4k monitor um i would end up like mr magoo if i had a 13 inch screen with 3840 pixels <laughs> mr magoo and you'd be you'd have to thing up in front of you trying to work out what, what was on the screen. So I can understand why people like them. And if you're a developer and you're running around all over the place to different conferences, then yes, it is an awesome piece of kit. Um, and the XPS developer edition, I think they've taken 
a couple of extra steps in making it um, appeal to the user mm. who like the MacBook. Um, but hey, even if I wanted to buy it, it's not available in Europe yet. Not yet, but it's coming soon. But this, this, we had System76 on, and I talked about all the things I have to have in a laptop. Mm-hmm. And frankly, a lot of those things, the old Macs, not the new ones, hit on. The old MacBook Pros with the aluminum frame, glass trackpad, beautiful retina screen, you know, small form factor that's light and portable, a backlit keyboard, those things that I look for if I'm going to get a laptop that, frankly, in a, the old MacBook Pros, all of those features are there. Uh, I say old because the old ones had USB ports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the new ones have dongles. So in any case, that's why I think the Dell XPS 13 here is such an amazing offering. And I got a chance, Pete, at the South uh, East Linux Fest had a Dell with an uh, Infinity Edge screen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I would care about this at all. Like, who cares if it's got a border around it or whatnot? Let me tell you, I was wrong. That Infinity Edge screen is gorgeous it just adds this kind of i don't know depth into what you're looking at and working on without having that border constantly in your eyesight and so Mm -hmm. this comes with that infinity edge dell has pumped up their quality here on this they didn't just take some you know junk laptop and throw linux on it and go there yeah we got a linux laptop (laughs) and and i think that's because uh apparently they worked very closely with Ubuntu team on this in developing it with Canonical, which is awesome. Again, I guess we do sound like, I guess the title of this episode is going to be Canonical Fanboys, right? Yeah, I think it's going to have to be. (laughs) But it just so happens that's what was in the news, that Canonical and Dell certified this laptop and worked together to produce it for developers. And look, if I had the extra money like Chicken has to drop on a laptop, this is what I'd be picking up. And isn't the um, XPS the one that Linus uses? I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere that he only uses the the Dell XPS. He may very well be. Yep. Rocco has an inside line with Linus, don't you, Rocco? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll I'll get right on the phone and. uh, Yeah. No. No. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, while you're on the phone to um, Linus, can you give Forbes a ring as well? Well, ask them their reasons. Forbes. Speaking of Zeb, (laughs) has uh, actually it was Jason, and I'm not even going to try the last name. So there you go. It was Jason, the contributor to Forbes magazine or Forbes.com, I should say, um, put an article out a couple of weeks ago where he stated that he was ditching Windows two weeks with Ubuntu Linux on the Dell XPS 13. Hmm. Imagine that. Well, he's put another article out that is called five reasons you should switch from Windows to Linux right now. So he talks about this whole journey of switching over, um, and it wasn't all smooth, Ryan. It, no. um, some of these things that happened to him were, were he had issues with, and dare I say he had issues with Linux Mint um, installing. Uh, so when he went to install Linux Mint, uh, there was no hard drive shown to him to install it. And... There was something that you had said a long time ago, Ryan, um, that Ubuntu is the go-to. When something doesn't work, you try Ubuntu, and it's the one you go to, and it works. And that's exactly what he found, that Ubuntu was the go-to distro. He's using it now. And let's talk about the five reasons why 
he feels you should switch to Linux right now. And I have to agree to him. So yeah. first reason, Ryan. Linux gets out of your way. No annoying Cortana pop-ups. <laughs> I loved that. That just cracked me up. Uh, or Clippy. Uh, if he should have added Clippy in there. Or pre-installed crapware. Let me tell you something. I was, I was talking on my channel that I had completely removed Windows partition off my machine. And I did. And then, of course, I got this new NVMe drive. I was having issues with it. You can go look at those issues that I was having. And so what did I do? Uh, I dropped Windows, put it on one of the partitions to see what the speed results would be in Windows, see if it's a drive issue or it's a Linux issue or what was going on. The end result, though, is when I first booted into it and got it set up, I've got all these candy crushers and Saga candy and pinwheel games all pre-installed and i'm like what is this crap then cortana pops up it's like hey you want to use me i'm like no go away like and then these notifications are going off on the side and i'm like what is going on this is the experience that windows is now is like getting a new phone that you bought with all of this bloatware sitting on top of it the second you boot it up and it's just complete junkware so i cracked up on that one when i read it zeb what was the second reason he gave here um, he, he rightly points out, and I think this is the biggest turnoff for, that people have, is the misconception that you've got to spend your whole life in the terminal. Um, and that's not true. So you're not a slave to the terminal anymore, meaning you don't have to use it like you did in the old days. So your main reason for being worried about um, Linux has gone out the window. And I remember watching a YouTuber once who, who talked about spending, I think, two weeks with Solus. And he never touched the terminal once. So it's just, you don't have to be scared about it anymore. Yep. Number three is installing software is even easier. So he goes on to talk about how people think, and again, going back to the terminal, people think they have this perception that uh, Linux is extremely hard. And yet, if you look at the comparison from installing software on Linux to installing software on Windows, where you have to physically go to each individual website and find EXEs, find the you know what you need, instead of going to just a software center, basically, that is curated and, for the most part, safe to use is an amazing experience i'm sorry it just hands Mm. down is way better than um than a windows experience and that includes the fact that sometimes you might have to add a ppa for a specific piece of software or you know and snaps is even kind of doing away with that for the most part so that I think is like an awesome. Well, on reason. Windows, most of your viruses that people get, because I have to clean a lot of viruses off of friends' computers that haven't converted to Linux yet, is because they go to try to find some software. They go to some site. They click on the wrong site link. It looks legitimate. They download the exe file, and then they get spoofware and all this other stuff. But I want to add on to that. A lot of times, it is legitimate software, a legitimate driver of things. And they're clicking through the boxes and forget to uncheck the box that says, do you also want to install McAfee like anybody ever does? (laughs) (laughs) Do you also want to install uh, Ask Jeeves toolbar? No. (laughs) Who would want to? But the people don't see that because they're just clicking next and you've got all this junk. You never have that experience on Linux. Never. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other biggest thing that people hate about Windows, and and this can be summed up in just these five words. I think it's great. Updates are not a headache. There you go. 
in Windows, you get updated when you're in the middle of your work and you then panic, has it saved it while you're waiting for your machine to reboot. In Windows, you can't afford to reboot, reboot your machine if it's playing up and you've got a, an update pending because that update might take you 40 minutes and yet the seminar you're at has only got another 30 minutes to go. So, yeah, stick with Linux. I just want to paint it, that picture uh, because I thought that was such a beautiful thing you said there. I want to paint that picture more vividly. So let's say we're doing this podcast and something messes up with the audio, which happens in Windows or whatnot, and I'm like, okay, Rocco, I'm going to be right back. And I click restart and in Linux, I'm right back in, but in windows forced update. Now I got to sit there and wait for 20 minutes while it's ticking away to update before I can get back to get into my show. Or if you're in an, a, a business meeting or anything else, this stuff happens mm -hmm. like on live calls and major companies, even where we have somebody just disappears from the call because a forced update came through this ridiculous stuff like that. So, but even yeah. speaking to that, Ryan, we were given Matt Dark one a hard time yesterday for Discord <laughs> issues that he couldn't get his sound working, and we, you know, he left Discord and he came back on like within I don't know, thirty seconds to a minute, and I said, oh, he had to reboot into Windows, and then it was like, oh no, he didn't because he wouldn't be back that soon. <laughs> right. Yeah, so never mind. Th there's a lot. There's a lot to this, but I think the biggest reason. Or the biggest thing for me is num the number five reason in which I think should be, I get why he put it at five, but I think it should be the number one reason, and that is the Linux community itself. Mm -hmm. Now, he said there was a lot of passionate responses to his articles, and it wasn't people admonishing him for using Windows. It, In his words, it was a ridiculously passionate community taking the time to suggest alternative software for my needs and detailed tips to make my Linux experience even better. That sums up the Linux community to me in a nutshell. That is awesome. That sums up the community that you have helped pioneer, Rocco. And I say that specifically for me because my personal story is exactly his. I didn't plan to stay with Linux. Everybody knows this story, but people like you came around and were giving me alternatives and pushing and passion around Linux. And that helped me continue forward with Linux because you were just seeking out a nobody named channel that happened to be playing with Linux to go and, you know, provide support for. So the point of this is everyone, whether you're contributing directly to a distribution, whether you're just a fan of Linux and play with it can help Linux grow by taking the time to be kind, not trolling, not throwing RTFM out there, those type of things, and helping these people because now you have a major editor for Forbes writing articles on how great Linux is. This is going to touch a whole new base of people that haven't been touched before with Linux. I think that's amazing. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. <laughs> And it's all you boys and girls in the chat now uh, and our patrons. It's that community spirit that, that, that makes it so good. And what I liked about this article in particular is he didn't sugarcoat anything. This was just his honest experience of, of what happened with him on Windows and Linux. Um, and I think it was, it was a great article. Yep. All right. So we got gaming next. But before we get into gaming, Zeb... We can skip this part. Um, no, I think we should talk about this. <laughs> Zeb, before we get into gaming, let's talk about your new acquisition or not. Well, I've been fitting a new Vega 64 graphics card this week. Welcome to Team Red, Zeb. 
Right. Or not. So Rocco. And cut right here, Rocco. Don't let him <laughs> go on. Just cut right there. And well, then... I was just going to say, so Rocco, I see the Minecraft snap has just been updated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's back in the box. Um, uh, it didn't go well. It's the price So let me point... get this straight. You bought a ridiculously priced video card, the Vega 64, and it's now not in your computer. It's sitting in a box waiting to be returned. Correct. Um, after, and I'm not blaming uh, Ryan, but after Ryan had his fantastic experience with the Vega 64, and there's no, there's no doubting about it, he had a, an awesome experience. And he put the videos out there and he proved that it was as good as, if not equal to, the, the NVIDIA 1080 Ti. I thought, yeah, I'm going to have some of this. This will be fantastic. So I bought it. It was a monster of a graphics card and only just about fitted in my, and I've not got a small um, computer, but it only just about fitted in with its three fans. And I powered it up and I installed about seven or eight distros. And I thought, great, no, no graphics driver woes. Everything works out of the box. Now let's get Steam loaded up, loaded up Steam, loaded up my beloved ETS. And then that's when the draw dropped. 80 frames per second. (laughs) I can get that out of my 1060 that cost half the price. Now, something's wrong here. I'm not doing something right. So I then spent two days trying to find out what sort of drivers I should be installing. Um, And I think as Ryan discovered as well, there are so many conflicting, convoluted, complicated scenarios out there. It was like, I've got a headache. I don't need this. Where's my NVIDIA card? So I I came to the conclusion that, yes, fantastic card, and yes, it has potential, but sorry, not not for me. I wasn't prepared to pay twice the price and have the same playback. If if I'd have had had over 100 frames a second or 110 or 115 frames a second, it would still be in my machine now. So as Ed mentioned, that's what I was getting in my card, even in when we were doing testing, because I was trying to help keep you on mm. Team Red. I failed, but I was trying. <laughs> um, and so I was I was telling you, you know, I was putting Euro Truck on the highest settings, is getting anywhere from 110, 120 frames per second and all this, and you're only getting 80. You did get a different card than me. It had some oddity things that I think the jury's still out on what they were supposed to do, but not really important uh, just showing, though, that you did one thing you did enjoy out of it, and I agree that AMD drivers are a little bit of a mess right now. Technically, people are going to tell you, which is what I bought off on too, which is true. You plug in the card, you open the distro, you start running, you don't install anything, and you get some good performance. But if you want to start using things like OpenCL, well, then you've got to use the AMD GPU Pro driver, and that doesn't have the latest updates that the message driver has. Then you've got AMD Vulkan, then you've got Rad B Vulkan, and trying to get it's like there's they're in a transition period a little bit, and it can be a little confusing. But you did enjoy being able to boot any distro and instantly be able to use it. Absolutely Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. welcome back to Team Green, Zeb. <laughs> but good news is Chicken has gone Team Red, oh and gosh. he has got the same card I have. So it will be interesting to see chicken's take on it since it will be a different perspective last night on biddle he put it through amazon and bought a <laughs> vega 64 and hasn't is having it shipped overnight <laughs> this guy is now extreme 
purchasing. Yes. Yeah. He's extreme purchaser. <laughs> yep. I just want him to hire me. Whatever he does, I want to be in on it. Well, mm-hmm. on his, uh, on his, one of his favorite games, actually, um, Minecraft. So Minecraft is not my kind of game. And, and to be honest with you, I never realized that Minecraft was a paid game. Yeah. So that's just, uh, me not looking into it enough, but yes, it is a paid game. But the reason we're bringing up Minecraft is because there was an update to it, but more importantly, Martin Wimpress has snapped up the new launcher for Minecraft. So now you get a new fancy launcher that is super easy to install through a snap. Ryan, what do you think? I think it's awesome. And my son loves Minecraft. This is his, he's five, his favorite game to play uh, on his laptop. He plays it on his Raspbian desktop now, a version of on his laptop, and it runs beautifully on a very low powered laptop. Uh, He was so excited because Wimpy reached out to me. And unfortunately, this is during my power outage, reached out and said, Hey, can you help us with some testing on this Minecraft snap? So I invite my son down. And because this has all the newest launchers and updates and things that are available in it. And his, I wish I could have captured the moment because when he saw Minecraft boot up on my big beast screen and it was the latest version, the same version people have on windows and all that, he was just like so pumped and excited. And so it was fun to test for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, anytime I can get involved in helping anything they're doing over there. Yep course i would love to but number two it just happened to be something my son's very passionate about and so cool that you can install it so simply on a snap now well just to be clear this you know obviously minecraft has been available as a snap but this is the new fancy launcher that makes it look nice right so so on to the next game and we've gone from one blocky game Oh, sorry. Am I supposed to not use that word? <laughs> no, you can another. definitely use that. <laughs> now we've got we've got a paragraph here. We've got to be aware that initially Ryan writes us the guidance notes, and then we go in and we make them our own. Okay, so Polygod doesn't have the triple A graphics that Zeb would appreciate, <laughs> but they're far from bad. There now, you go. Far we, from we, bad. We need to get you some English lessons. <laughs> Ryan, because if, wow. this, if this is not bad, I don't I don't know what is. There's a game, and I can understand the the interest behind it, and it's fantastic. And you've got all of these floating, appearing platform type scenarios, and it's meant to be a, a first person shooter. Mm-hmm. But when I shoot a ray gun at somebody. I just don't expect to see a red round circle heading. <laughs> What's Reagan-ish about a red circle on the screen? I mean, seriously? I think they want, they want you to pay, oh, hang on, yeah, nine cents. No, I'll buy that. For, oh, hang on, no, nine dollars. Sorry, it's your weird sign. <laughs> nine dollars. And it says they provide some interesting enemies and boss battles. Uh-huh. How can you tell the difference? It's all just triangles and squares and oh, what? it's not that bad, Zeb. This is this is a okay. So it's not AAA graphics. Wait, can we stop here for a second? Can we stop here for a second? If the if the best thing you have is it's not that bad, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, look, 
look, this, this, these type of games tend to have a uh, lot of endearing qualities about them when you get in and start playing them. This has a very brutal difficulty. It's co-op, so you can play it with friends. I know Rocco and Zeb are going to buy this, and we're all going to play it together, and it will replace our <laughs> ballistic overkill sessions for sure. You get right. new weapon customizations that you can hook up there. And yes, most of those weapon customizations shoot just a yellow ball, but... <laughs> You still know that you customize them, Zeb, and that's the uh, okay. So it's not for everybody, but it looks kind of fun. You mean you mean people buy these games? <laughs> well, we'll find out. Uh, it is nine bucks. It's early access, so maybe they plan to add on additional shaders and things. And uh, we'll, we'll so the, the last question I have for you, Ryan, is this whole early access thing? Do you think this is like the newest way to go for every game? Because it seems like every game that comes out now is early access, and it can be like a double-edged sword where sometimes it's so early access that you turn people off, and sometimes it allows the community to help. Where uh, I will mention another game, uh, Battalion 1944, which is a <clears throat> Windows-only game. But uh, it, What was that? Anyway, uh, it's a game that had early access, and if you bought uh-huh. it early on, it looked like a uh, just say a regular fps game recently they've had an update to it that completely changed the way it looked and the way it feels and it actually feels like a triple a title now nice so the question my question is do you feel that's the way to go where you know you have an early access and you'll lose some people because they'll try it and won't like it so my brother develops uh games and one of the games he developed he put out as early access and part of the reason when you're a small like single developer or a couple developers you would want to do early access and why we see it a lot is because you don't have 1600 machines to run tests on uh, to determine the bugs and things that people are going to run out on and people generally are a tad more forgiving not always because like you said now it's kind of being overused everywhere but people tend to be a tad more forgiving when it's an early access game uh, on those type of issues, especially if the developer then is actively engaged. We talk about this within Linux, actively engaged with the community to say, hey, see, I saw your bug. I'm working on it, getting it fixed. Now, if it's an early access game and they're getting money and then people are posting bugs and there's no word from the developers on them, that's where things tend to get really ugly with early access and gives early access a bad name. So for small studios, I think it's an amazing opportunity to get your game out there, find out what's wrong with it, what kind of issues people will run into, what things they like, they don't. The problem is when it gets kind of abused and that has made people a little shy away from early access in a lot of categories. Yep. All right. So that's it for the gaming news. Um, On to our last topic of the day. And this is a topic that is not easy to talk about, but it's something that we need to talk about. And that is that this will be my last destination Linux appearance. Um, Life has come at me fast and there is a lot of things that I need to take care of. And I no longer have the, there's a lot of time put into Destination Linux. There's at least four days out of the week where all of my free time is spent preparing, creating, or doing something for the show. And I no longer have that four days available for the week. 
So this will be my last Destination Linux appearance. But I will say that, Ryan, when me and Rob started the show uh, and Rob decided that, you know, obviously time for him was uh, slowly going away, we were looking for a new host and you came on and you were such a huge help to the point where if you wouldn't have came on when you did and helped out as much as you did, the show would have ended then. And I really appreciate that. You took over ownership of a lot of things and took a lot of weight off of me. And like I said, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the dynamics that you brought to the show. Thank you. Um, Zeb, you helped us even before you were appearing on Destination Linux. You helped us so much with producing behind the scenes and taking care of things that we just physically couldn't take care of at the time. So I really appreciate you doing that. I really appreciate the user uh, experience that you bring to the show. That's a dynamic that I think is sorely needed in uh, podcasts and, and shows where you have real users talking about things rather than technical developers. But I also will say that Michael has brought some technical advice to the show that none of us could bring. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of us have that technical knowledge, and he has brought that to the show. And I want to thank him for taking the time to help us with the show along with his. I mean, he he runs his own show and still Mm -hmm. takes the time to help here on Destination Linux. So with that said, I'm not leaving the community. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to be around. I'm just going to need a lot more free time to do things. So again, um, thank you all, everybody in the community. I appreciate all of the kind words that you've uh, said and done over the years that we've been doing the podcast. And it has been over a year. It's been almost two years now since we've been doing the podcast. And you guys are going to continue on, right? Yeah, we're going to continue on. But obviously, there's going to be a transition period here for us to figure out everything and how the new show and format is going to be. And I don't expect major, um, you know, changes other than we've got to sit down and figure this out. We kind of all, I've been letting this soak in uh, during the show. It's been marinating the fact that the person who uh, really not only helped me stay in Linux when I first started, which I mentioned earlier in the show, but also a person who I view as a good friend personal friend of mine, Rocco, uh, you leaving this show is going to leave a major gap, obviously, that won't be filled, can't be filled. And you gave me the opportunity to come on the show when I'd only been in Linux at that time, probably for a year and a half. I wasn't an expert. I wasn't the leading person that probably you should have picked, but you did because you have this incredible ability of kindness and want to bring excitement around Linux. And you've done so much for the Linux community through this podcast and we're always going to be watching everything you do from Biddle and participating, seeing you participate in the communities and hopefully uh, telling us when we screw up and I'm over here <laughs> instead of being in the middle of the frame because your perfectionism is going to be missed the most, but you're an awesome human being. You're an awesome person. Thank you for all the opportunities you've given me. And while all of our fans, I want them to know the show is going to continue 
uh, obviously it will be uh, not the same without Rocco. Mm -hmm. And I just want to um, add to those sentiments. Um, It won't be the same without you. You bring um, a certain calmness, a certain maturity, a certain knowledge and understanding, and you always, but always find the goodness um, in people. Mm -hmm. So you you deserve goodness in your own life yeah yep well i appreciate it i appreciate you guys all of you everybody that's in the community brian zeb michael and everybody in the community i really appreciate it because it's been an awesome time and i love doing destination linux i just am not able to anymore so gee that was a terrible way to end the show <laughs> but it's not ended yet. It's the yes. show is not ending. So it's just an ending for this show. All mm. right. Anybody got anything else? Well, how are we supposed to top that? Um I have electricity. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do some Bach live streaming to help uh okay. curve it out somewhere. That there would be go. cool. All right. But uh, but other than that, um keep your keep your comments coming. Um, send them in, please, to comments at destinationlinux.org. Um, you can make comments on in our Telegram group, in Discord, Mumble, um, our website server, which is destinationlinux.org, because it is those comments that give us inspirations for parts of the show. You tell us what you do like, you tell us what you don't like, and we do our best then to, to bring you that mix. So it is important that you keep communicating with us. Yep. I think that's the most important part right now. We need the community more than ever uh, to help make sure we're doing things right, that we're on the right track with, you know, changes that will occur in the show as we make those decisions. We'll bring patrons in and make sure that, um, you know, if we need to change something or something's not going right, you let us know because you guys are the ones that keep the show alive without the listeners and people participating in the patrons, then the show can't continue. So, uh, we really will be looking for your feedback and support throughout this transition. Yep. And don't forget about the uh, Steam community group that Shambles created. That's something that you can connect with everybody regardless of whether you talk about Linux or not. Uh, we even have Windows users in there, Ryan. <laughs> oh, We're going to change that real quick. <laughs> That's the first change coming to DL. That's right. But other than that, that'll be it for us. That'll wrap it up. So, everybody have a great week, and remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. So in the absence of Michael, it's now my turn to just sit here spouting gibberish for at least five minutes until Ryan gets fed up and interrupts. That's it. I've had enough of it. You are not one with the force. You've turned to the dark side, Zeb. Really? That's all you got, Ryan? That's all I got. Okay. Are we observing a moment of silence for something? I thought we were waiting for Rocco to say that was okay. Oh, he did. He said he was a little bit low, yeah. He's still muted. Actually, I like this. Stay muted, Rocco. So wow. now, you mean I've been oh. talking this whole time and you haven't been telling me I've been talking? I, 
it, I didn't notice the difference. Wow. <laughs> totally, dude. Oh, man. Man, I'm on fire today. Woo! <sighs> I don't have to take this. Yes, you So why have we not seen, been seeing you in Ballistic Overkill? I haven't seen your name come across the screen killing me. <laughs> yes, I ask that question when your volume's low, because I don't want to hear the answer. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah, there yeah. we go. All right. Um, yeah, well, I was just going to ask, uh, are you going to quit Ballistic Overkill? Oh, no. I haven't seen you for a while. Oh, no. I mean, you haven't killed me enough. Wendy yeah. has a great website on photography that you should check out, Ryan. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Let me see it. <laughs> what is it? Uh, WendyHillPhoto.com. There's actually quite a few good photographers in the Destination Linux group. Yep. Nice. Some awesome images in there. Yep. John mm. and uh, Acid and there's one other. John, Acid, and somebody else. All have uh, websites and good good photos. Mm. Oh, my gosh. You use Linux for all these pictures? Do you? Do I do. All of it's oh, on Linux. So yes. awesome. I love it. I love it. I love seeing <laughs> professional work in Linux here. That is so important. Look, I was looking through those photos and I was getting hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry right now because a cake popped up and I haven't eaten lunch. And I'm like, really? That, that is a food photographer's dream. If you look at our pictures and get hungry, that's, that's the best compliment ever. Yeah. That means it's a successful picture, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm definitely on the outside, you know, especially in dealing with my professional photography groups. They're all doing stuff in, in Adobe and I have to figure out how to do it differently in Linux. What are you using instead of Adobe? Um, so Darktable is what I convert from raw in, do basic editing, and then everything else is done in GIMP. Nice. Nice. So focus oh. stacking and multiple I thought layers. GIMP was inferior to Photoshop. That's what I was just <laughs> thinking, Marco. <laughs> if was Michael was thinking. here, he would go on for an hour to tell you why GIMP is superior. <laughs> well, and my workflow started in GIMP, so it's nothing that I had to transition to, and I think that makes a big difference. There's no way you're yeah. getting an inventor off Adobe products. Wow. And I think that's part of it with Michael. It's laziness, partly laziness. He doesn't want to learn something new. <laughs> Man, you leave and just start busting on him. Bust on him every week, dude. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> He's like, oh, come on. Yeah. I just wow. don't want to go. We are really depressed, all of us. After <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think we've ever had a serious after show ever until now. I mean, what do you guys want to go on to next? Talking about uh, funeral homes and how... Let's <laughs> go back to photography. <laughs> You always hear like these big boomy voices because they've got you know, and then when you see these radio hosts live, you're like, you're all three foot. How did how does that happen? Right. You know, like they just look completely different. Than you expect Michael sure. is six five, right? So I'm um, 188 centimeters. No, I don't think he's six five. Six four. Yeah. Uh, Michael's six four. Yeah, I would say probably six four, six so you three, can add six another four. Five centimeters. He slouches, so it's hard to tell, right? Yeah, but he is tall. He's a, he's a tall dude. Like uh, some people were messing with us from the Windows community, and I threw him in front of us. And said, <laughs> <"Right now."> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good job. <laughs> You're yeah. It helped. So that's six foot four natural, six six with the hair. There you go. Right? Yeah, that hair definitely adds some height to him for sure. And then when you put his heels in on top, well, then we're not going to go there because that's only on a Thursday. You wouldn't imagine his grooming uh, 
steps that he has to take. It's about two and a half to three hour ordeal to get those hairs perfect. You know, the perm, the perm uh, that he has to go through. He's got a special perm machine. Then he, no, uh, no this is all true. I'm not making this up. Then he has special products that he puts in. Then he has a final oil glaze and then a sheen glaze on top of that. <laughs> and then a hair color um, shampoo. Well, that's beforehand, but he has a special hair color keeper shampoo. And then he finally sprays all of that down. And then he puts tin foil into his hair to hold each individual piece uh, while that dries. So that that's honestly a part of his routine, but I didn't write it all down. And, and how long does yours take? Uh, none, because I have no hair. Mm-hmm. Bald, so. <laughs> you yeah, oh yeah, well, this beautiful beard. Well, he could do that on the go with the beard. Yeah, that, that grows majestically on its own. Well, of course it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only good news is that we determined before when we found this news out about Rocco, um, you know, leaving is that he now has a little bit more time to do some videos and you're going to do a whole series on dusting on your channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. We're very excited about that, Rocco. Does that mean I don't get to join the Zoom chat? You don't get to join anything. You're pretty. Do much I have to become a patron here? I'm banning you in every room. from Do I have to become a patron to join the Zoom chat? Have to become a patron. Did you notice though, Ryan, that he didn't give us control, so we can't blank him off yet? Yeah, but the second it happens. Wow, <laughs> gone. No, 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 don't blank him off. Put him lightly yeah. off screen. Don't do that. I'd rather yeah. be banned. <laughs> <laughs> How long could we leave him in the waiting room for? Wow. Oh my gosh, I'm going to leave him in there for a really long time until he bakes bleeds. You know? Wow. I, I, I am going to make this painful, Rocco. Mm-hmm. You're a friend and a dear friend to me. But I will punish you for this. <laughs> well, I've got to go do real life now, and we've got to go figure out some stuff for uh, the show eventually this week. But Rocco, thank you for everything. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you guys for everything because it's the people right here, including the people that aren't on video, that make everything the yeah. way it is. So I appreciate every one of you. <laughs>